Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone. I'm delighted to have with us this morning, Teresa Hargrave, chapter chair of the Atlanta chapter of the Women Presidents Organization and partner of Charter Oak Consulting Group, who has devoted her life to supporting women in leadership, and Mary Don Peters, a serial entrepreneur and lawyer, co-founder of uh, Gorby and Peters Associates, and Ask a Privacy Officer. I'm so delighted to have you ladies with me this morning. Wonderful to be, here. to be here. As always, we love to start our show by asking you both, what are the, the trends that you're seeing in the market that you think CEOs should really be aware of? So Teresa, I'd love it if you'd go ahead and start us off with your observations about that. Well, I wanted to speak specifically about women entrepreneurs, because that's the world that I live in now. And I think it's important to address the backdrop of these women entrepreneurs, in particularly here in Atlanta. And the first thing I want to say is that only 3% of women enterprises grow to above the million-dollar revenue level. Wow. So it's a pretty exclusive club we're dealing with here as we think about women entrepreneurs above the million dollar second stage entrepreneurs. And I wanted to share three insights that I see in dealing with um, the CEOs that we have in our groups. And the first insight has a trend is that I see that they are values driven, that they are using their values in terms of how they really approach their businesses. So that's one of the things that I see. And the second thing that I see is that they're collaborative, that they are non-hierarchical and very inclusive in their leadership. And that shows up in how they are in our groups. And then the third is that they really value and honor and build and have as a focus trust in their interactions. And those have been three things I've been observing for the last several years that women entrepreneurs seem to bring with them. Not all, certainly, but in these groups that we are formulating, that's what we're beginning to see a lot of. And those three things have tremendous impact on their businesses, on their decision-making, on how effective they are, how productive they are, how um, successful they are. So tell me, do you think that it's harder for women-owned um, businesses to break that million-dollar barrier? And if so, why? Because it's, I mean, it's hard for all entrepreneurs to do it. But do you think it's harder for women? I would say it's hard for anyone to do that. That's, a, that's like a level, when you get to the million-dollar level, that's a level that is uh, sometimes a very hard level for people to get to. Scaling is an issue. In fact, this year... It's one of the key issues that we're working on at WPO in our groups here in Atlanta. We're talking about how do you scale your business. And the average revenue of women in WPO internationally is $13 million. So I, to answer that question, I think some of the struggles that women are dealing with are your classic. And it's the same with men as well, but it might be more with women. And the classic are that there's so many things that are draining them or pulling on them that their ability to focus, focus exclusively on their businesses is very hard unless you have someone who is also joining you in all the concerns that you have around children, all the concerns you have around home, health, issues that relate to how you live, and those things make it very difficult to focus exclusively on a business. And it takes a kind of laser focus, particularly as you're building the business up to that million-dollar level, uh, where you're formulating your processes and your systems and coming up with your strategies and your goals. That takes a kind of focus that is often not available to, to women who are having very complex lives. Many women choose to have businesses, and I think it's a wonderful thing, that are more lifestyle businesses that support the lifestyle that they're in and the children that they're raising. And often what you'll see is they'll have these $50,000 level businesses that are quite effective, 
and work very well for them. But there is something that I think many women are having to give up as they begin to have that laser focus, want to scale, want to build their businesses to be larger. And that's where having a group of women who have done that before, who are facing those issues, to come together and get support is so critical because there are things you have to to let go of. You have to sacrifice in order to have that kind of focus on your business. Now, just for for our listeners, I'm assuming that the women in your group have to have over a million dollars in revenue. Is that they true? do. Okay, great. They do. Um, and so as you talk about those sacrifices that, that women have to make, is it that the women in in WPO have made those sacrifices? And what, what do those sacrifices look like? Do they... Do most of your members not have kids? Do they? Or what does that actually look like in real life? I'd love to bring Mary Dawn in on this, the answer to this, because Mary Dawn is one of our members. She's grown her business. She's grown several businesses to be above a million dollars. And I'd love to hear you weigh in on that, Mary Dawn, of what you feel as if the sacrifices were for you personally to do that. Sure. You realize that you're free time is not really free time. You have to schedule so tightly to keep all the balls in the air. And so oftentimes the last thing on the list, the thing that is sacrificed first is you in your time. And especially when your children are small. You you have have kids? Oh, I do. How many kids do you have? I have a blended family of three sons, and uh, the youngest is my birth child. They're all my love children, and uh, we have grown as a family. The oldest child is what people in the old days used to refer to as a special education child, And the special education that came was my special education in learning about love and simplicity and just such a beautiful character that I learn every day from. But to give you a specific example of how crazy your life can be as you are putting together your business and your family and trying to make it all work, what I would say the common denominator of our group and most of the incredibly successful women entrepreneurs is not just focus, but a scary reserve of energy, Hmm. emotional and physical, so that when life gives you gale force winds, you somehow find the strength and the energy to get it up, pick it up, and keep moving and moving forward. Um, Whether it is deciding that you're going to miss your child's um, little Halloween, how could you possibly miss Halloween for a little toddler? Mm-hmm. So I decided I wasn't going to miss it. I was going to take them with me to a very large business meeting. Uh, so I uh, I was in a very nice hotel in Kansas City, Missouri. This has been um, probably 18 years ago. And he's dressed as Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> and so from the concierge to the front desk to the, um, the fellow that hands towels out in the gym, they were all ready to greet Buzz Lightyear with some specially selected candy from Mom. And we did trick-or-treating in the Ritz-Carlton <laughs> in Kansas City, Missouri, because I wasn't going to miss it. So I just had to figure out what that workaround was. And... Um, decide that even if it meant that I'd have to get up earlier and go to bed later, there were parts of my child and my children's lives that I wasn't going to miss. And being there as the elderly grow even more infirm. You can have priorities or excuses, or you, but you're not going to have both at the same time. Mm. 
And so that's what I did. I made my priorities and my personal failing probably is in not carving out enough time for me to be um, me. And even today, we laughed before we started the show. Did you do your meditation? Did you do your meditation? (laughs) Today, I get up between 4.30 and quarter to 5 so that I begin my day with meditation and reflection to be able to have the wisdom and strength and serenity and focus to just get all the important stuff I need to get done in this day for so many people. And it worked. How many employees do you have? We have 12 full-time employees, and we also use contractors. Um, My preference is to give people a great wage, um, health benefits, great benefits, and we do something within the law firm side of it that's extremely contrary to what law firms do. Um, Which is? Well, I'm glad you asked because uh, it is different. I grew up in a big law firm setting, and I loved it, and I got to work with giant intellects. I mean, really, how lucky am I to have been able to work with so many smart people? But remember, it's back in the 80s. And I came up through the U.S. Justice Department and then working at very large law firms. And the business model there really doesn't seem to fit with millennials Mm. and with women who choose to have children or to have a life outside of the office or many times taking care of aging parents. So our law firm started with the idea that genius takes quiet and reflection. And what we wanted to do was give them their space to be geniuses. And so what we did was say, you know what? You could bill 40 hours a week times 52. But that would mean you wouldn't have a life. So we took that calculation and we backed out of it an honest 80 hours for you to go and have a vacation. Yes, yes, a real vacation where you leave the office. And five days, another 40 hours where you might be ill. Or you might just need a day to get your... Mental health day? Yeah. And we backed out the 11 paid holidays that we paid for. And then we backed out, gosh, we're going to ask you to do some stuff in your community and to get your head around where you think the emerging trends are going to go. And when we backed all of those numbers out, we came up with what would be in a very large firm and probably in most intense in-house counsel positions, part-time. It's 145 hours a month. But if you're giving 145 honest hours of deep thought and we, at the end of the day, pay people to think, then you've got to give them room to do it. So what I will say is we have a reservoir of really smart, talented people who are doing amazing things. One of, not only in our firm and not only for our clients, and that's big because we're part of a bigger community, but they have time to go out and become the president. And Tony C. Jones, this is a shout out to you, Tony, will be elected president of the Emerging 100 here in Atlanta on April 24th. I hold two charitable board seats, and it's important to me. And I push and urge everybody, you're part of the world. Go out and be inspired to help people, your clients and the community, 
and be inspiring as a human being. And if you do that, you can't bill 200 hours a month, (laughs) which is what the other paradigm is. So we're trying to do something different. And then don't you find that genius also is more efficient too? Like when you're, you know, when you're really in your genius, you know, what would normally take eight hours, sometimes you can get done in half an hour. So now the millennials call it power focusing. Um, the youngest is in college, and he's in computer programming. This is your, your son? Yes. Okay. One of my sons. Um, he's in computer programming, and it used to drive me crazy until millennials started coming into my workforce. But as we have different hours in our office, most people arrive at 930 because you cannot get a millennial out of bed, and our office is also in the perimeter area, so traffic is not optimal. Uh-huh. It starts at 11.30, but for some, one in particular, it starts even later than that, because you have to find the hours where biologically they can power focus. And for some people, that would be in chunks of time in the morning. That's me, mm-hmm. probably Uh, you guys since you were up early this morning but you get a millennial who needs to get up a little later because they're just cramming their genius ideas into either a program or they're writing something or they're deep in something else sometimes they have to do that at night when it's dead quiet And what I've learned is they do it with really weird, to me weird, things going on. They may have music playing the same song over and over with headphones on. Why are they doing that? Because it calms their brain down so they can get to that still quiet part where genius actually lives. And it's amazing to watch them work. And I think the reason they're doing that is because the world that they grew up in and that our producer probably now lives in, there's flashing lights and things coming in and tweets and texts and all kinds of stuff coming from so many directions. They do put that noise in, but they use it almost like a a white sound in the background so that they can focus. I like it to be just plain quiet. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Um, so Mary Dawn, I, you're starting to talk a little bit about technology, which is you know the world that you're in with Ask a Privacy Officer. So I would love to hear about the trends that you're seeing, you know, in addition to some of the stuff that you're talking about with regard to millennials um, that you think our, our CEO listeners should, should be interested in. So um, I've been practicing law for a while. And one of the things that I noticed was that we've got a problem. Hey, people, we've got a problem. Companies don't understand privacy laws. And privacy laws are not segregated into one place. There are no fewer than four federal agencies that all have enacted their own privacy laws. Every state has their privacy laws. And there's no one place you can go to to figure out what are the privacy laws. So we started Ask a Privacy Officer with a group of marketing and technology and legal minds that came together because there wasn't a place you could go to figure out, all right, I'm starting an online business. Where do I go to get the privacy laws? Well... You are affected because you've just put a website together. What data are you collecting? How are you storing it? How are you getting people to pay for the products and services that you now have a subscription-based business? Where are you storing the data on their payments? Where are you storing the data on their payments? And sometimes it's as simple as you didn't even know that some privacy laws apply to you. So I've represented healthcare and technology companies for years There are people who are now in the business that are regulated by HIPAA high-tech rules who had no idea these rules apply to them. I'm not in the medical business, Mary Don. Can you give us an example? Oh, sure. Uh, 
The new HIPAA high-tech rules that came into effect a few years ago made and extended uh, your duty to keep information confidential regarding patients' um, uh, protected health information, not just if you are a healthcare provider, but let's say you're the technology company that goes into work on the servers for the doctor's office, or you are going in to repair the copier that stores all of the patient information that's been scanned in <laughs> so that the doctor and his staff or her staff can file it. It's that pervasive. You may touch it. And that's the point of the new HIPAA high-tech rules. If you have the opportunity to access it, marketing companies, oh, you have an OBGYN practice. Let me help you market it. Let's send out emails <laughs> to your client base. Oh, really? So you just gave your client list to a marketing company. Hmm. So people who never knew that they would be subject to these HIPAA high-tech rules are subject to them. And we wanted to find a way to bring together information that would be helpful to every CEO uh, across the board because the weakest underbelly in all of our organizations for privacy leaks and data leaks, unintentional and intentional, would be people. So unless we can train the CEOs, and we broke up the training into three different categories. We have training for business owners and managers and CEOs, which is different from the training that we do for, let's say, the receptionist or the assistant that might inadvertently put something in the trash instead of the shredder, to your technology team who may or may not know what the latest trends would be, to the solopreneur. And we represent uh, some geniuses at the college level who have created uh, mobile applications that allow people to talk and communicate with each other. So we're talking with them about, all right, well, we're going to have your privacy state statement on the website and on the app, but have you thought about how you were going to protect this information? Let's think about what that would look like. And we're starting to see expansion of very old tort law into the new world of how do you manage privacy. There are class action lawsuits that are uh, forming and have been formed. Look what you did to my data and how it affected me. Okay? Those are the big guys. They can take it on the chin and take it for a month or two. But what do you do if you're that million-dollar business owner, $50,000 business owner, even up to a $100 million business owner? One of those can take you down. It can take you out. So how do we help the CEO or the business owner, large and small, to think about what are the privacy trends that I need to be worried about? The people, the technology, the place, and by place it can be the internet or bricks and mortar. And how do I train my staff? And how do I uh, enforce it so that uh, we don't leak data, which in turn would expose our company, our employees, our clients to what could be a disastrous uh, event if their data is stolen, manipulated, or used. So for for people who may find this a little bit overwhelming, right, because this is a whole other world that, that most CEOs really, as you mentioned, don't really understand, what would be the top 
let's say two or three recommendations that you would have for um, the CEO of a you know mid-sized business that is is just beginning to to think about this? What what's the first or their second couple steps that they need to take? Okay, so easily three things. Right. Number one, you've got to assess the points at which your data can leak. So it would be people, technology, and geography. Um, where do you keep your personnel files? Is it open or is it in a locked room? Uh, how many people can come into your building and how do you know that they're in? How many people can enter your data? And by the way, where is your data? Many people have hosted, have moved to the cloud. The cloud just means it's sitting on someone else's server. Where is that server? Is it in the U.S.? Is it next door? Who has access to the server? So beginning with uh, what's the risk? How do I do an assessment? So you do the risk assessment. You have to train your people. Have policies and training in place. What is it that I need to do? What policies do I need to have in place? And how do I protect it? And what I'll tell the CEO is this. Even if you don't care about your employees, even if you don't care about your customers' data, your financial data, your trade secrets, that's something that can be protected too. So if you're not going to do it for the world or your employees, just to be altruistic, do it for yourself and for your business. Because at the end of the day, the analysis Assess the risk. Put policies and procedures in place. Train, train, retrain, mm -hmm. and then test. Test to see if it's working. And that's where the business of Ask a Privacy Officer came into play. Because it is so overwhelming that people just want to pull the covers over their head. Where do I start? How do I do this? So we came together and we formed the company from the marketing web-based side to the lawyer, and we're always kind of risk-averse and <laughs> scary people, right? We scare people. but um, The boogeyman. Yeah, and then the technology people. So what we decided to do was, you know what, we're, we're living in a dangerous world here on this topic. What can we do to come together to find an ecosystem where people can get the knowledge and the training um, and the idea is to help think about the problem because we're they're inventing new risks every day. Mm -hmm. So how do we even think about it? And what we decided to do was make it easier, make it accessible. And uh, I heard a quote the other day, most uh, education doesn't fail because it gives you too much, because it doesn't give you enough information. We fail as educators because we gave you too much information. So what we had to do was go out and over the last 18 months, we trained, trained, trained companies of all sizes um, and we've gotten feedback uh, and we've retrained to be able to break it into three distinct groups, owners and managers, how to think about it on a go forward basis, the, um, the core employees, and then the technology piece. And that seems to be the best. We are, we will be launching a web-based system as well because in this mobile world, you can't afford to send your uh, distributed workforce that may be all over the world to a training in one location. So that's phase two. So just to go back to the women-owned business thing, I mean, it's it's obviously you both are very passionate about um, women and women-owned businesses and helping people grow. Uh, and so I'm wondering, what are you seeing in terms of trends in, in, in women owning businesses, starting businesses? Um, is it getting harder or easier, you think, for women to, to succeed in, in owning and running a business? Atlanta is a very fertile place for women-owned businesses. It's one of the top cities in the country for women-owned businesses, which is very exciting. Um, I think we are in a very interesting time to start our own businesses, particularly given that 
we are still seeing a flat line on uh, women dollars or cents per dollar to, to men dollars that they are getting paid. We're 78, I think, cents to mm. a man's dollar in the workforce. Um, two-thirds of households have women who are either sole uh, household earners or co-earners. And it's affecting everyone mm-hmm. that women aren't making what men are. And we have seen that flat line. We've seen um, stalling in the number of CEOs on the S&P 500. You know, we're just around less than 5% CEOs are women in um, Standard & Poor 500. And for boards, they own, own less than 20% of the seats on boards. So we're seeing... Um, that if you were just staying with corporations, women are not going to be able to achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah, the the glass ceiling is pretty real. It's very real. So it leaves this big opportunity. And I think the opportunity now is to start your own business. And it takes enormous courage to do that. And that's where I think an organization like Women's President's Organization really comes into play. We are not for the first stage entrepreneur. We're for the second stage. But given that, I think what we give is uh, moral courage and helping to make calculated and uh, effective risk in your business to be able to grow it. We have each other's backs. We are dealing with issues that are very hard issues, uh, dealing with staffing, funding, strategic issues regarding products and uh, marketing. And these are issues that keep CEOs up at night. And they bring these issues into this highly confidential, very intimate gathering of no more than 20 women, all representing different industries. No two industries, not no two seats have won the same industry. So you have a very diverse group of women. And the goal is to be able to bring your issue to the group and use those 20 women as your resource for getting a very deep perspective on the issue and finding what I think Mary Don was addressing so beautifully and sharing from her experience, that when you hear someone go through certain decisions that are really difficult and how they came through it, you develop inside yourself a moral compass, uh, a way of getting out of some very risky, very real, very challenging situations that you're dealing with as a CEO. And we all have, as women leading organizations, we have our friends we can talk hair color with and waist (laughs) size with. We've got that. But who do we go to when we have very complex issues that we're dealing with? And in order to be able to grow, take the risks we need to take, we need those confidants. We need a really good board of directors that we can bring those issues with. And we're not going to be afraid that they're going to replace us as CEO, that they're, they're there to help us succeed. They're there to, they're committed to us doing well, to growing, to scaling, to achieving. And that's the role, I think, that all CEOs, and particularly women CEOs, perhaps, need that kind of support. And why do you think Atlanta is, is such a fertile fertile uh, environment for, for women, women CEOs? Well, for one thing, Atlanta is such a great place to travel in and out of. I mean, that's one of the reasons that uh, my husband and I moved here, is that we have business all over the country and sometimes all over the world. And what that requires for us simply to be able to get to our clients is a really good airport. And a really good airport is essential to a lot of these women's businesses. They're traveling a lot. It's, um, it's a very important uh, part of a city is having a really good airport. Um, we live part of our time in Connecticut, and that's not available for us in Connecticut. It makes it much harder it gives it adds significantly more time just to get to an airport where when we are living in to Connecticut. So I think people move here largely for the services that are here and very available. It's a very high tech area. 
Uh, you can get resources for your businesses, find staffing for your businesses. Staffing is one of uh, the major issues that comes up for us in our meetings, um, particularly when it gets into some of the technology areas. And Atlanta has a very broad um, pool of opportunities and people, talent, right here. Uh, so I think that's another reason that people are very attracted to this area. Why would you say, Mary Don, in terms of why people want to start businesses here in Atlanta or why it's a fertile place for business? Look around. It, a gathering of women who are uh, successful entrepreneurs is akin to a herd of unicorn. <laughs> How many cities in America, and I'm going to give a shout out to Atlanta because I love it. How many cities in Atlanta truly have uh, minority leadership, big business, women-owned business, great sports, awesome transportation, as you pointed out, access to Georgia Tech, Georgia State, Georgia, Kennesaw State, Emory. Um, Emory. We have it going on in Atlanta. It's yours for the taking. We have these brilliant young minds. We have scientists at the CDC. We have a leadership that's about not old money, but new ideas. You can walk into Atlanta and be a player if you decide that that's what you want to do. And you have something that's of value to offer the market. And that's not true in so many states. So I'm pretty tickled to say, come to Atlanta to start a business. No, it's not SF, but nor are our prices. <laughs> nor is what we're paying. We're not paying New York City square foot real estate. We're not paying for San Francisco real estate. We're Atlanta, and we're out there ready to be global with who we are and what we have to offer. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the things that I think is really exciting um, about you both is that it seems to me like you have created a model for what it looks like um, to have a business, as a woman, to have a business of scale and not sacrifice everything, even though you said that sacrifices have to be made. I mean, I'm not hearing some of the sacrifices that I think my counterparts fear the most. You have children, you have a happy marriage, both of you. And, you know, you seem like you get enough rest, you know, to look pretty fresh at eight o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I would love to hear a little bit more about, about that, about the model for being able to build a business of scale and still have something that looks like an integrous life. I think one of the things that, um, the WPO offers our ideas around that. Uh, there's nothing like having a woman who is running a $50 million company come in and look fabulous, have uh, her whole family in an exercise routine. Uh, she is, uh, has children and is... That are well-adjusted. Uh, that are well-adjusted, has a love life. And you look at her and you go, I think I can do this. You know, there's a, some real inspiration that's offered when you see that and is value-driven, is, has an incredible moral compass. And when you see someone who is growing a company by leaps and bounds, her company is growing in such a significant way, and you see her being steady and available to people and invested in her employees. But, you know, you, you had me at her company, you know, just that, you know? Yes. You know? Because yes. you don't it's really so hear his company so often. It's so incredibly inspiring. We need to have our mentors in, with us. We need, and that's what's so incredible about WPO is that you could say that it's a group of divas. They are so non-hierarchical, so non-competitive, so interactive and, and willing to share collaborative, it's incredibly inspiring to have that kind of, of team 
with you as you are struggling sometimes to get a good night's sleep, to be able to um, make sure all your employees are getting paid that month, and you're making really hard decisions. So you come in, and you can hear her say, I've been there, and these are the things that I was able to do that helped me. And it's incredibly inspiring. You end up hearing their voices in your head. They replay like great tapes. So instead of all the tapes that you may have grown up with, you can't do that, you know, leave that for the guys, you're reprogramming your brain to hear the stories of success. And we all have times, as a friend of mine would say, in the box, because that's life, right? You're going to have good days and bad days, and, and the goal is to find the wisdom and the inspiration to help you get through it with great attitude and understanding life is all about change. So as Teresa noted, these extraordinary women are led by the founder of WPO. And you really should go Google Marsha Firestone. She's a very petite woman who leveraged friendships long, long ago to say, why aren't we celebrating and uplifting women who start and run successful businesses? So she got a loan from a female friend of hers on a flight in New York. And if you ever want to mainline positive, inspirational, um, informational Juice, go to a WPO global conference and watch what Marsha built. From a seedling in New York, it is an enormous global enterprise where women across the globe are reaching out to help other women. And in such a supportive way, and I'll share one tiny little example, a group of highly successful women owners in New York, uh, the little pod there, came to grips with a terrible reality for one of their uh, member owners. And that reality was she had terminal cancer. They took turns, all these very busy CEOs, standing watch by her bedside. And these women lifted the casket as her pallbearers. You give me one example of a group of male CEOs who would be at the bedside by turns wiping the tears of joy and pain, not just lifting the oak. It's an enormously positive and uplifting and supportive organization. And I'm going to give a shout out to Marsha. Thank you Mm -hmm. for introducing me to it. And thank you for giving us Teresa. (laughs) Because Marsha really did go out and find. Teresa leads not just one, but two and is about to go into the third. We have three chapters in the offing here in Atlanta. It's one of the fastest growing cities for women entrepreneurs, in part because of what Teresa did. Teresa came from a very large and successful consulting company. She didn't have to do this. She wanted to do it, and you could tell uh, that this was her life work, to bring what she did for the Stephen Covey organization to what I would think of as here I am having the opportunity to learn from someone like Teresa. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mary Don. Yeah, I always love to talk about the relationships that, that underpin our business because as much as we talk about, you know, ask a privacy officer and trends and privacy and things like that, it's, it's you know, as you're saying, Mary Don, it's the, it's the relationships that support us. And so, uh, Teresa, I would love for you to weigh in on on if uh, on the relationships amongst you know your members and and women and how they they support each other and how important that is for us in particular to have that support as we as we try to scale our businesses. Well, one of the things we talk about in WPO is that it doesn't just happen in the once a month meeting, and we meet for three hours, and many of the people then go out for dinner afterwards. Uh, so you have a very limited amount of time, really, for one another. Three hours goes by very quickly. And these women are are 
quite dedicated to be there for those three hours. And they're really dedicated to each other to show up. That's really the dedication is I may be bringing an issue and I need that particular person's input. And if they're not there, it really impacts the quality of the sharing that happens in that session. So people are really committed to being there. And they're not just committed to those meetings, but then they're committed to what happens the other 30 days of the month. And what you'll find is that in any meeting, you will hear about how they are having lunch with each other. They are coming to each other's um, businesses. There there was a situation where uh, a woman really needed help with a very strategic issue and went and spent the entire day with another member charting out her business approach to some of the issues. You hear that repeatedly, that people are showing up for each other. They have an issue on insurance. They have an issue on office space. They have an issue on financing. They have an issue on marketing. And they will find in that group people they can call and anyone will pick up the phone when they call. They are that dedicated to one another. We're getting ready this month to, as Mary Don was talking about, go out to our global conference. We have 1,700 members worldwide. We're in six different continents. They're going to have the opportunity to now meet all of these other women from, who have businesses similar to their own and sit at the table and be able to garner and learn from each other in a profound way. It is a think tank that is so powerful, you couldn't possibly pay for that kind of input. People have said it's been a game changer for them. It's intoxicating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a member who now is is in an international market that she had never dreamed of before because of the uh, global conference. It's astounding what people come away knowing and understanding that they didn't know or understand before. And then just they get so connected uh, to one another. Our group that's there gets very connected to each other. So it, there's, a, uh, there's a process of becoming a, a full member of the WPO, and the process takes a lot of commitment on the person's part to invest in their other members and really take time to build those relationships, and they do it. So they're quite, that's, that's definitely a focus that we emphasize and that's available. Mm. So I would love to hear, um, you know, as we kind of round the corner towards closing the show, what, what's next for, for both of you? You know, um, you've obviously been very, very successful. Teresa, it sounds like you're starting a new, a new WPO uh, group here in Atlanta. We are. Yeah. But, but where, do, where is this all going to take you? There are endless businesses to start, aren't there, Mary Don? Endless. I mean, the two of us, we could probably start five different businesses between now and the end of next year if we really wanted to do it. There are so, oh my gosh, yes. It's not a function of finding a good idea. It's a function of where you want to focus. What's so different about the group of women that we have uh, in WPO around the country and here in Atlanta um, you hear, used to hear the old term, ladies who lunch. We are definitely ladies who launch. We'll get together. And we have enough money and experience that, gee, that sounds like a great idea. I could do this, this, this. You could do that. And you really understand, oh, yes, we can. Oh, oh, we can. And we know how to do it. We know how to get the people, the money, the processes we are successful, and success builds on success. And so when you get that energy, positive energy moving forward, the ideas, and you have to kind of filter through because maybe you don't want to do everything, just the most important things. When we come up with ideas and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good That's one. A good one. <laughs> we know we can do it. And you would be amazed at some of the businesses. This is the cradle of revolutionary, cool new businesses that are starting here in Atlanta um, that would rival what you see in Silicon Valley, which 
some would say is very antithetical to women. Opposite is true in Atlanta. We're here and we're rocking. We've got the money and the talent and the resources to do it. Ooh, I'd like to hear And that. apparently the trust. <laughs> and that's the game changer, wouldn't you say, yeah, Teresa? I, I do think it is. And ad tech, that, that arena, we're getting a lot of new members who are young women. I mean, we're talking oh, early yeah. 30s who are rocking it. Just in, in their businesses. Yeah. It's, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been very exciting. Fun. Great. Well, if folks want to get in touch with you or hear more about um, your the WPO or Ask a Privacy Officer, how can they get in touch with you, Teresa? I think the best way to, to look into women's presidents' organizations to go online because they have a great website. They can look at the membership. They can talk uh, with me easily through that mechanism. And, uh, and I'd love to invite people who are considering a peer learning group who's a woman who has a business that's above a million to consider joining one of our groups. Um, we, I have a feeling we're going to have many, many more groups. We're starting a third, but I, I can see four and five right on its tail because there are women who are really beginning to see the value of this. So I would encourage that. Go to the website. Great. And Mary Dawn? I agree with Teresa. Um, if you want to find me, uh, it's our website is Gorby, G-O-R-B-Y, Peters.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. We have a Facebook page. Uh, come visit us. My day job is the one that I started 20 years ago. Um, I have a law firm because I am devoted to protecting as well as uplifting businesses but we also are involved in uh, launching businesses because that's what I love to see. I like to see growth, don't you? Oh, I do. Yeah. It's a lot so, of fun. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being thank here. That's you. all the time we have for our show. Thank yeah. you. It's been thank wonderful. Until next time, Tuesday at 8 a.m. Thanks. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.